Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. I am really excited to be here with you today because I love this episode. I told you that last week and I can't wait to talk about it with you. I'm sorry if my voice is a bit strange, but I am a bit ill at the moment. I can't breathe through my nose right now. So um, I'm sorry if I seem a bit like breathless because, uh, yeah, the temperature are really weird and they change really quickly at the moment. And well, obviously, I've catch a cold and now I'm in. Always happen to me when we have this kind of change of temperature. Usually, yeah, it's from summer to autumn. Like, yeah. Anyway, we're here to talk about episode 8 of season 3 of Downton Abbey. The last episode, if you don't count the Christmas special, is the last episode of season 3. And I called it the one with the cricket match. Obviously, because sometimes I think it's one of the most important things in Robert's life. Cricket. And without further ado, let's just start, shall we? I changed a bit the order for this episode. This time I will not start with Bates and Anna. I will start with Ethel, because we finally have an ending for her storyline. Remember, Violet asked Edith to place an advertisement for Ethel so that she would leave Downton, because gossip, all that, Violet doesn't like it. So, in this episode, Violet is at Crowley House with Rose. We're going to talk about her later. She gives to Isabel some of the answers to the advertisement. You see that Isabel, she's not happy about it. She doesn't want Ethel to leave. She's the only one, actually, who doesn't think it would be like the best solution because Mrs. Hughes was on Violet's side. And I told you, I think they're right. You know, I think it's the best for Ethel. And so with all that, Isabel just explains to Rose why it's happening. She says that Violet is finding a new job for a cook. And Rose says that it sounds rather inconvenient. I love then the little exchange between Isabel and Violet when Isabel says, Cousin Violet has never let a matter of convenience stand in the way of a principle. As the kettle sent to the pot. I just love it because every time they have a conversation, their facial expressions at both of them, it's always priceless. Like you feel that, you know, I don't need to say more. You understand how they feel, especially Isabel. You see how sometimes she's so fed up with Violet, like, you know. <laughs> Like she's screaming internally. You know, I just love it. But then, so she has the answers. So Isabel, she talks about it to Ethel. And she says that Violet placed an advertisement because actually Violet, what she wants is to cry house to stopping a house of gossip. And so she gives the advertisement to Ethel. And Ethel, she says that she hasn't found one that's good enough for her to leave. Except one that was nice. But the issue is that is near to where the Bryants live and it might be a bit complicated but you see that she feels a bit down and I think she would want to be near where the Bryants live so she could see her son but at the same time it would be difficult and then she also feels like now she's not wanted anymore at Crowley House so it's a bit complicated I think she feels she's like wanted nowhere and she even says that she's sorry if you know, it makes trouble between Isabel and Violet. And when Isabel says, oh, don't worry, you know, if we, if we won't fight over you, we will fight over something else, you know. She will fight another bone for us to fight over, which is completely true because they fought a lot, even before Ethel, so that's true. And obviously then Violet, she wants to know where they are, you know. So she asks Isabel 
And Isabel says that apparently there were no one that was nice except one, but it was too near where the parents live. And it's difficult because Apalva wants to go there because she wants to see her son. But the Bryant's will find out and, you know, Mr. Bryant was not the nicest man ever. So it would be complicated. And then back at Croy House, Isabel says to Ethel that she had a letter. Apparently, Violet wants, to, wants both of them to call on her the next morning, which is quite weird. I mean, why would she want Ethel to be at the Dower House? You know, Ethel, the issue of the whole scandal. So, you know, there must be something behind it because this is weird. And when the next day they go at the Dower House, Mrs. Bryant is here. And actually, Violet, she asked Mrs. Bryant to come because of this whole thing with Ethel, who maybe wants to work near where they live, but it would be complicated and all that. And actually, Mrs. Bryant is like, well, you know, I have nothing against you seeing your son because I'm uncomfortable to keep a mother away from my son. And Ethel, she already had a story, you know, like I was his old nanny when he was born and all that. So I don't have to say that I'm his mother. I can say like I used to take care of him. And so I would see him and then all would be fine. And at first I was like, yeah, but what about Mr. Brand? And Mrs. Brand says, well, you know, leave him to me. And I like that he doesn't have a say in this, you know. And so then she says that Ethel should take this job so she could see Charlie. And obviously Ethel, she's happy because even if it would be hard, she will see her son again. And maybe when he will be older, they would tell him the truth, but she will be able to see her son, which, like she says, would be much easier than not seeing him. So in the end, that's quite a happy ending for her because she will have another job where her past will be washed clean. So no one will have to know that she was a prostitute and she will see her son again. So in the end, all's way that is well for her. So that's great. And during the quick match, obviously, Isabel and Violet, they talk about it. And I just love this conversation because Isabel, she's not stupid. She knows that even if I do believe I told you that Violet was not insensible to Ethel's story and her situation, we know that she always has something in mind that her first priority is to keep the reputation of the family. So, you know, but in the end, it's best for everyone. You know, the reputation of the family is now is good because Ethel is gone and Ethel, her life will be easier and she will be able to see her son. So actually, Everyone is happy. But I really love this conversation between Violet and Isabel. So here it is for you. I'm glad everything is settled with Ethel. But I trust you can find another cook without too much difficulty. Preferably one with a blameless record. So my house ceases to be a topic of gossip, which is really what this is all about. If Ethel wants to be part of her son's life, even a little part, who are we to stand in her way? Of course, if you had had to sell Charlie to the butcher to be chopped up as stew to achieve the same ends, you would have done so. Happily, it was not needed. I just love the happily it was not needed. Well, I love how she says it. With the expression on her face, it's just hilarious. I I mean, these two, I mean, I love them. Now, let's talk about Edith. Edith, last episode, she met her editor, Michael Gregson, and she says that he was nice. She accepted the job. And so now she is writing so columns, I think it's once a week, for the magazine. And before dinner, she talks about her column with Mary and Matthew. Now, apparently, she is doing an article on former soldiers. After the war, some are begging on the streets, others are working in clubs. Then she says, well, the poor soldiers and Matthew he kind of says well you know after the trenches even the club sounds quite nice and it's funny because I think he said it in the kind of a joke like yes it's horrible for them but you know they are worse 
things in life. And Edith is just like, yeah, but you shouldn't make fun of them. And Mary, obviously, because she loves to tease her sister, says, well, she forgets that you were in the trenches and she wasn't. But I think it's quite interesting that she's writing about those sort of things. I mean, the first thing she wrote to the Times was about human rights. Now it's about the soldiers. So I think it's really interesting that she wants to, because I believe that when they thought about her writing a column, maybe they thought something very feminine and very girlish. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was really interesting. And I think it's great that she is confident enough to write about those sort of things. Anyway, Mary loves to tease Edith. That hasn't changed. And during dinner, she says that she's going to London to meet her editor to discuss her article. So at the magazine, she's with Michael Gregson and he's openly flirting with her. He says that she looks really nice today. Even says that, you know, that she should talk about things that matter. It's like, you know, when she says, I know it's not very feminine, but I thought I should give it a try about the soldiers. No, you know, if you think it's right, you should write about it. So I think it's so nice because he's actually supporting her. Even he encourages her. She doesn't have a lot of support in her family. Like true support. I already told you, but her true support is actually Matthew. Like really, if there's one in the family that really supports her, even encourages her, it's Matthew. So having someone there, and especially that it's actually her boss, to tell her that what she does is great, that she has great ideas and she should go on with it. I think it's really good for her because it didn't happen a lot in her life, I think. And when she comes home, so after she went to London, she is on the telephone and she wants to know more about Michael Gregson, so about her editor. She wants to know more about his life, his private life, let's just say. And I don't know if you noticed that, but that happens after. So they went to Rosamond, you know, and we had the situation with Rose. We're going to talk about it after. But when Rosamond was so angry at Rose, she says, what were you thinking going out with a married man? Edith, her reaction to that, like she had a strange reaction. Like she see that, I don't know, it kind of strikes something in her and she is thinking about something at the moment. And then later she plays that phone call to know more about Michael Gregson. And then she says at dinner that she wants to go to London again because she's had bad news. Obviously, Mary, she is a bit curious. She wants to know why it's bad news. Edith doesn't say. But she goes back to see her editor. And apparently, this bad news is that she learned that he is married. And obviously, she is not saying furious, but she is, I think, even offended. He was openly flirting with her. And she obviously, she liked it. The man, he's really charming. He's nice. He supports her. He thinks she has great ideas. He's flirting with her. Like, this is, whoa, okay. Last time it happened, it was like Anthony Strallen. And let's just say Michael Gregson is much better than Anthony Strallen. So obviously she feels fine. She feels great. But when he, she learns that he's married, she doesn't feel great at all because she feels like he's playing with her. But he says that his wife is in an asylum and he can't divorce her because, well, it's the law can't divorce her because she's neither the guilty part or the innocent one so she he can't file a divorce so this is complicated because you see that he's really interested in edith edith you see that she likes him but whatever this is she can only be his mistress like officially which obviously we know will not end well i mean we know it like it just this does not sound right we see it i think we're used to it <laughs> so obviously it's not the end of edith storyline I don't know about you, but when you hear that, you know they will not end well. And this is very sad because I quite like this Michael Gregson, but 
It's complicated. Bananas. So, Rose. The first time we hear about Rose, it's when Isabel, Violet and Cora, they come into the drawing room before dinner. Violet says apparently she's 18 and that she's coming to stay with her because apparently she hates London and they can't go to Scotland until a bit later. So she's coming to stay with Violet because Violet is the aunt and the godmother of Rose's mother. And Rose's mother is Susan Flincher. Does that ring a bell? If you remember, Susan Flincher, she was the one who sent a letter to Violet about Mary and Mr. Pamuk. You remember the letter that she gave Cora and she wanted to know if it was true or not? Well, that is Violet's niece and godchild, and she's the mother of Rose. And her father, like Rose's father, is the Marquess of Flincher, Shrimpy. His valet, I think, wrote a letter to Carson about also the Mr. Pomuk situation. And Violet called Shrimpy when, you know, during the war, she wanted William to be treated in the house. She wanted a special favor, obviously. And she called Shrimpy to know how they could, who they could ask to transfer William to Downton. So, yeah. And I love what Isabel says. Which is, oh, so she is a young girl and she hates London, so she wants to have a bit of fun while staying with a great aunt in Yorkshire. But yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, yeah, that makes sense. You know, just saying that. It's quite weird. I just love how Isabel says it. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I got it. But just, again, tiny thing has absolutely nothing to do with Rose, but since it's in the scene, I just wanted to mention it. When Isabel, Violet, and Cora enter the room, Cora, she's looking, well, she, we don't know who she's looking at, but she's looking at someone. And obviously, that someone is Robert. And I just love how when she enters the room, the first thing she does is looking at Robert. And Robert was talking with Tom. And he looks at her and, oh, it's so sweet. Like they smile at each other. And yeah, I've missed this. Okay. I'm such a sucker for all this tiny affection gesture. Can we say it's affection gesture? Well, anyway, I'm a sucker for all that, especially after the angst, you know, of <laughs> season two and the angst of Sybil's death and all that. So I just think it's so sweet. Like, ooh. yeah, that's the end for this. Let's go back to Rose. They, they talk about Rose again. Cora, Isabel invited, and Robert. And Robert, he's wondering if it would be too hard for Violet to take care of Rose. Are you sure? I mean, it would be better if she stayed here, which in a way we can say maybe it would be better because she would have her cousin with her, you know, like Edith and Mary. Maybe she would have nicer things to do. But Violet says that she was she's looking forward to it. And Isabel, she says that she couldn't manage an 18 year old, not these days, because she says that she, she wouldn't know what she was talking about. And Violet, love her answer. My husband was a great traveler, so I've spent many happy evenings without understanding a word. The thing is to keep smiling and never look as if you disapprove. I love her face. I didn't like she is mimicking what she just says. No, Violet, she's so funny. Like, yeah, I love her. And then so Rose has arrived and they go to Crowley House. At that moment, we already see her character. Isabel says that Ethel is bringing coffee. And Rose says that she's not supposed to drink coffee because her mother doesn't approve. But then she says, oh no, it would be fine because she wouldn't find out except if they tell her. So just that, you know that she doesn't have the best of relationship with her mother. Just with that scene, you know that there is something. 
And then at dinner, when Edith says that she wants to go to London, Rose asks if she can come with her. And that's quite weird because she just arrived. Apparently, she hates London. And she's quite taken aback by that. But Violet says, well, that it's her mother who told her that. And she's like, oh, yes, darling mummy. <laughs> like, that's not true. And then she says that apparently she wants to go to London because she planned a surprise for her. And it sounds so fake <laughs> that you know there's something fishy about it. But then Edith accepts that she can stay with me. But Edith, she knows there's something because then Matthew asks if he can go to London too. And she says, I think I would need help to keep control of Rose. Like, I don't know, instincts. And yeah, because Rose again she says, oh, but mommy would be so pleased when she know that you have me with the surprise. Everything is weird. Like this whole surprise thing, it's weird. But then they're in London at Rosamond's and Rose is placing a phone call. And well, you know, there's something fishy, you know it. And then uh, she is out, but she has changed her clothes. Like, you're like, this is not the same person. <laughs> and so then apparently they were all supposed to have dinner with Rosamond, but Rose is not here. And then the taxi driver that took her is here at Rosamond's house. Apparently she forgot her scarf in his car, so he went to give it back. But he also says that first he took her to Warwick Square, where she stayed two hours with a friend. So, you know, you're like, okay. And then he took her and her friend to a club. And like, but what club? He's like, well, you know, it's like, well, no, if I'm asking what club, is like, I don't know. So this whole thing, like, okay, oh my God, what is happening? And so the three of them, Matthew, Edith and Rosamond, they go to the club. And well, Rose is here with a man. So apparently the friend that she spent uh, two hours in Warwick Square. And I just love when they arrive and she is surprised and shocked that they found her. So she knows her reaction shows that she did something that is right. And then Rosamond, uh, she introduces herself. Well, she says who she is, but I don't know if it's just in your aristocracy, but I know you don't introduce yourself. It's always someone else that introduces you. And she says, well, I'm a cousin of Rose's mother. And it's Matthew says, Lady Rosamond Paintwick. And then Rose introduced her friend. And I think it's, I don't know if it's everyone, but I think it's, no, for sure it's in the aristocracy. You do not introduce yourself. It's someone else who introduces you. Um. Anyway, I love how Rosamond plays it. She sees the man and she says, well, where is Mrs. Margadale? So technically his wife. And he says that she's away. So he realizes that he has been caught. That yes, he's married. And now he's out with a much younger lady who is not his wife. Rose, she tries to save the situation by saying he worked for her father, so he's kind of a family friend. And then Matthew, he takes Rose to dance because he wants to speak with her. And he says, you know what? You're going to leave now with Rosamond, Edith and me. And I think I can convince them to not say a thing if you leave now and you behave until you're out of our charge. Avish doesn't want to, but you know, he's terribly unhappy. His wife is just horrid. And I love what Matthew says. Married men who wish to seduce young women always have horrid wives. I suggest you meet Mrs. Margadale before you come to any final conclusion. Which is so true. And she says, but he's supposed to get a divorce and then he's going to marry me. But, you know, he says it's complicated to get a divorce. We oh, no, we know the song. I always say this expression, but I don't even know it's, if it's actually proper English. I just translated a French expression, literally. So I don't know if it's actually the right one, but I think you get it. And so then she asks, but why are you helping me? He says, I'm on the side of the downtrodden. And then they leave. 
actually he doesn't give her a choice they leave and then the scene oh, i love this scene because you have all this you know lots of music like it's a bit like it's a bit hell in this club you know and then you go to a scene where it's very quiet the, the women in the drawing room violet isabel and cora taking tea like it's too um, in French, we say deux salles, deux ambiances. Um, so we say two rooms, two atmospheres. I don't know if you know what I mean, but it's like really, it's not the same. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a word between the two scenes. But I talk about parenting. And I just love it. Again, it's Isabel's and Violet, and even Cora's, like the facial expressions says more than what they are saying. I mean, Cora doesn't say anything in this scene. But Violet and Isabel, their expressions says way more. Because if you just read it, like, okay. But when you see them acting it, you have their intention when they say it. It's supposed to be their job. But, I mean, they are better actors than others. So, you know, but I just love it. <laughs> so funny. I'm glad she's staying. But one forgets about parenthood. The on and onness of it. Were you a very involved mother with Robert and Rosamond? Does it surprise you? A bit. I'd imagine them surrounded by nannies and governesses being starched and ironed to spend an hour with you after tea. Yes, but it was an hour every day. I see, yes. How tiring. I love it because when Violet says, does it surprise you? And Isabel a bit, she looks at Cora and Cora, you see that she's looking down and she has this little smile like, don't tell me about it. Because I'm sure, I mean, we, we are all sure, the fandom, that there must have been some argument between Violet and Cora about, you know, parenthood. Because it is obvious that Violet and Cora were two different mothers. Like, first, because well, it's two different generations. But Cora being American and not from aristocracy, definitely we have another idea of motherhood than Violet had. So, yeah. Just oh, just for that, we need a prequel, guys. Like I said, I, I am ready to take like a novel if he doesn't want to make a movie. Because, you know, I think we even need a show. A movie is not enough. I mean, there's too many things to talk about. Just the courting of Crying Robert could take three episodes. So we need a show. So maybe, you know, novels could be great. Reading about it could be nice too. Well, at least we have fan fiction. So that's a win, I suppose. Anyway. Let's go back to Rose. But this scene is just how Isabel says, oh, yes, yes, <laughs> I see. Very tiring. So funny. Absolutely hilarious. Because Violet was an hour every day. I mean, oh, God. I'm... <sighs> so good. But then back in London, Rosamond is furious. And I mean, I can understand her because technically Rose was supposed to stay at her house. So she was a bit her responsibility, but she was more Edith, what their responsibility. And she's very angry. She's, what did you think like a respectable, well-born young woman going out with a married man? That's the moment. If you see, just rewatch this and see Edith's face. Like it triggered something the moment she said married men. So yeah, but Rose, she is also a bit angry. But Rosamond said, I'm not going to say anything to Susan as long as Rose behaves properly. Even Matthew says, if she doesn't, I am going to call Mrs. Flincher myself. So then Rose is back at the Dower house with Edith. And when they come into the house, they talk about what happened. And Rose, she is a bit anxious to know if they will keep silent. And Edith says yes, as long as she behaves. But Violet, she hurt. And when they go, I think it's probably like the drawing room. Violet, she comes down the stairs. Well, she just stay up the stairs. But her figure 
it's so powerful just her figure at that moment like it gives you this very like this matriarch feeling and for me it kind of make me feel about the stepmother in uh, Cinderella Lady Tremaine it made me feel about it because when they arrive with the car you could see that someone is looking at them from the window so it's it was actually Violet but you know with her cane and her posture I mean we just need the cat and she could be Lady Tremaine at that moment. Really, I don't know, tell me what you think, but she gives me that vibe. And the look that she has on her face, I mean, yeah, that was the feeling I had. So obviously she heard. She heard some uh, pieces of conversation, like some crumbs of what happened. And what she heard, obviously, I mean, she knew something happened that was not supposed to happen. So we know Violet, so it would not end there. And obviously then, later, Rose is with Violet and Violet tells her that she is going to Donegal early. And she's like, but am I supposed to go on my own? And Violet says, no, you will go with your Aunt Agatha. And when you see Rose's face, I mean, we don't know who Aunt Agatha is, but apparently she's not a nice person because she's like, oh no, she can't be serious. And when Violet is well, yeah, I know, she's not like the best companion ever. And then Rose, so she understands that apparently someone gave her away and she's furious. And she said, well, I'm going to run away. And Vice says, well, no, because my maid will go with you, you know, so you have someone to talk to on the journey. And so someone will have actually an eye on you to make sure that you will arrive safely there. And once you're there, you will stay there. But I love it when, you know, she says, I can't be had a prisoner forever. And Vice says, no, obviously not, because there will be a time when you'll be out of our charge, but not yet. But I love her little smile at the end. Like, I don't know, it's very sarcastic. I just love when she faints. I don't know anything about Terence. I don't know what you mean. I mean, we know, she obviously know what she means. And we know that apparently it's not Susan who just learned what happened just like that. We know that she's involved in all this because it's Violet and we know her. Like, Violet knows everything or is bound to know everything. So we know. And during the cricket match, Rose is furious and she comes to talk to Edith and Rosamond asking them who gave her away. And they're shocked because they say, but it's not me. And Edith to her grandmother, she says, but who told you? Apparently, Rosamond told her. And Edith, she's a bit mad. She says, but why did you tell her? You promised. She said, well, uh, she said, you told her. So I only fill in the details. But Edith said, I haven't told her anything. And so Rosamond says, well, okay, so you tricked me, mama. And Violet said, well, I, I haven't tricked anybody. Like, no, I just did what I had to do to preserve the reputation of the family. And Rosamond's like, yes, so in other words, you tricked me. I just love this because I love how Rosamond knows her mother so well. I mean, they, they are like the two of them. We know it. But I just love how she's like, okay, you tricked me. And you see how she is a bit upset that she's been tricked by her mother. Like still now, at her age, you know, really a grown woman, she can still be tricked by her mother. I think it annoys her a bit. I really like that. So we know that. Yeah, obviously, because she heard. Technically, Edith kind of told her because she heard Edith talking about it. But Edith never told her anything. Anyway, yes, in other words, Violet, she tricked Rosamond. I just love it because Rose, it was so the introduction of this new character. And I love it because we know she's here to can, kind of replace Sybil. She, no one will ever replace Sybil. But she's here to have this new character, young, because she's even part of the, a new generation because she's not the same age as Mary or Edith. So I think it's very fresh and I quite like her. So we will see her again and I'm so looking forward to her journey because I love Rose. I mean, she's the one who says my outro. So yeah, I love Rose. Okay, 
Now it's time to talk about Mary and Matthew because they have really a story on here. I mean, usually it was always mi- a kind of mixed up with the downtown management, but the Samis really have something together. In the beginning of the episode, the girls, when I say the girls, it's Mary, Edith and Cora are with Robert in the library and they talk about the cricket match. But then Robert, he says to Mary that she looks tired. Apparently she was in London and she says, well, yeah, maybe I'll try to rest tomorrow. And she really looks tired, but she then exchanged a look with her mother and Cora, she has, she has this sweet look on her face. Like, I mean, half the time Cora has a sweet look on her face, but I like this exchange of look because you understand that Cora knows the reason why Mary is tired. And then actually, Cora is in Mary's room and Matthew, he, well, he sees Anna outside her room and he's like, but what are you doing? He comes in unannounced and uninvited and Cora is talking to Mary about a Dr. Ryder. She says you couldn't be in better hands than Dr. Ryder. I mean, we're not stupid. If it's a doctor and she talks about it with her mother, we know he has to something to do about, like she says, women's stuff. You know, we're not stupid. And since they've been talking about them having a baby since they got married, we know he must have something to do with that. Now, Matthew, he's intrigued and curious and he asked what they were talking about. And, he sa- and she says, women stuff and I like how he's like ah okay I don't think he's as disgusted as Robert with every medical thing but there are still some things like okay like it's like okay I understand I don't want to know more about it and then they're together in her bedroom you see that he's very jolly because I mean he has his new plan for Downton and you just hope he will work and they could bring Robert around and anything so he comes to kiss her but she says to him that she's too tired because obviously he has all the plans of just kissing her, but apparently he's too tired. And you see that he's disappointed. You really see on his face the disappointment. And you see her, uh, how uncomfortable she feels to kind of lie to him. So we understand that there's something more. I love it when you understand things that is happening before the character actually knows what is happening. You know what I mean? Because we know something happened. We don't know what it is, but there's something. And you see how uncomfortable like, she is to tell him that she's too tired. And so then, like I said, Matthew, he says to Edith that he wants to come to London with her. That's when Edith says, maybe we need to help, you know, to control Rose. And then Mary, she wants to see Edith because she wants to ask her a favor. She doesn't want Matthew to take an earlier train. Edith is like, but why? Mary says, please. So again, this is quite tricky. Like, this is fishy because if she's doing something and she doesn't want to say anything to Matthew, it's fishy. And then Cora and Robert are in the library. They're just the two of them. Cora says to Robert that Mary is away for the night and she will be back the next day. And Robert asks her if everything is all right between them. So them two being Mary and Matthew. It's like, yeah, why? And I love when he says that he's rather impatient to get the succession settled. I just love it because I think a part of him would be completely horrified by the idea that like Mary said, it was in um the scene that his daughter has been touched in a way, but he's still a patient to get the succession started. I just love how he can be sometimes very contrary. I mean, they have been married for what? I have no idea actually how long they have been married, like for a year. I have no idea where we are. I think it's for a year probably. And I know, again, I don't know if it's canon, but it took them at least a year to have Mary, well technically not because she got married in 90 and Mary was born in 91. So for her to get pregnant, it was less than a year. I don't know when Mary was born. But anyway, I just love how he says he's impatient. Like, <laughs> because if I'm sure that he would discuss their 
marriage issue or stuff like that. The idea of talking about Matthew and his marriage and more intimate stuff. Robert would not like that, but he's impatient to get the succession started. I just love how he's kind of contrary. He's very funny. But, you know, and Cora, she, she just says it's early days. Yeah, like, just uh, calm down, okay? <laughs> oh, I just love it. But just follow sweet and just them talking together like, like they used to. So I'm really happy. But then, so Matthew, he has his appointment and he is a Dr. Ryder. So the doctor that Cora talked about with Mary, so they talk, he says that I think nothing is wrong. So we know Matthew, he thinks it's his fault if Mary is not pregnant. He wants to know, actually, if, his wife has come to see him and he says, well, I don't believe I am treating Mrs. Crowley. And even if he was, he couldn't say because, you know, medical secret, all that. But so apparently if he went to see this Dr. Ryder, this doctor might be kind of a specialist in, I don't know if it's about fertility or babies or that, but apparently he's a specialist. Well, he looks better to me than the South Philip Tapsall. But um, yeah, then the doctor said, I don't think there's anything wrong with you, you know, but then Matthew leaves, and when he leaves, he comes across Mary. And Mary, when she comes to say that she has an appointment, she says that she's Mrs. Levinson. And this is, I think, very interesting, because we know that Mary is the first one to dismiss her American blood. Like, she likes to say that she's English. She's not half American. She is the first one to even use it as a kind of a insult I can say uh, you know towards her mother saying that she's American she doesn't understand how things are and stuff but for this appointment because I believe that she didn't want her husband to know she takes her mother's name Levinson so I think it's quite interesting I mean Mary and Cora's relationship is so interesting but so complicated because part of me thinks that Mary loves her mother very much and part of me thinks that she wants to be very close to her but at the same time she doesn't want to because she doesn't want to appear too sentimental like, I don't know if you know what I mean, but yeah. And about this Dr. Ryder, I was thinking if Cora knew that Mary would be in good hands, I mean, she must have seen him. And so I was wondering when she would have went to see this Dr. Ryder, uh, because he doesn't seem that old. So it can't have been from where she was pregnant with Sybil, because that would have been like 25 years ago. And I don't think he would have been a specialist. I mean, he would have been like maybe 25. I don't know. So maybe, I don't if you maybe you absolutely do not care but I think about those kind of stuff so if you have an idea but I think maybe it was when she was pregnant you know in 1914 back in season one episode seven maybe at that time she went to see Dr. Ryder because I don't see how she could know about him like yeah it, this actually intrigued me a bit so I don't know if you have the same idea as me but I think about it you know um, yeah, anyway. But I just love the fact that Mary says Mrs. Levinson. And I really like the fact she came to her mother. I think it might be obvious, but since she's not that the closest person to her mother, we, we do not see that. I like when we have some kind of moments when you see that she actually really do care. She really loves her mother. It's just that she likes to appear, I would say, appear a bit colder and more insensible than she actually is. Anyway. And then they have tea together, Mary and Matthew, to talk about it. And she says that actually it was her. She was the one with a problem. And it meant a small operation. And first Matthew, like, what? I think Matthew is just shocked that she went through all this without saying any word to him. I think she wanted to alarm him. But I think part of him is a bit disappointed that she wanted to say, you know, that she had to have an operation. Because that's why she's been keeping him at arm's length, you know. 
But I think after that, she thinks it was stupid really to not say it. But I think she wanted to preserve him. And she doesn't want to, to tell him what the problem was. <laughs> Maybe it's best sometimes to not know everything. But in the end, uh, she says that... Um, so she had the operation and her appointment was just to see if everything was well, apparently. All is well. I like when Matthew says, so we can start making babies. I think this is really sweet. And she says, the doctor says that she should go back to see him in six months time, but she would be pregnant before then. So we know by saying that, that she'll be pregnant really soon. Bananas. Now, I thought it was a great time to give you my French word of the day. It's really, really simple. But to be honest, I didn't have a lot of inspiration. So my French word of the day is doctor. When I say it's very simple, it's because it's almost the same in French. Because doctor in French is doctor. And it's written D-O-C-T-E-U-R. So it's almost the same. Instead of an O, it's E-U. And yeah. I mean, they went to the doctor. And I haven't given you that yet. So yeah. Sometimes I don't have the inspiration to have really fancy words. So doctor in French is doctor. And just to end with Mary and Matthew, during the cricket match, they have really sweet scenes together. I mean, their scenes together in those past episodes were so sweet. And I just love, you know, when in the end she sa- he says that apparently Robert is coming along, so it's great. And she says, so we'll be building a new kingdom where we make our little prince. I think this is really sweet. And he says, I didn't know it was possible to love as much as I love you. I mean, this is so sweet. I love it that we have such sweet scenes, but we we know that we have those, that they put those scenes. I mean, Julian even says it, you know, in the comments every time he has really sweet scenes. He says, we need to make them really, really happy because, well, well, you know, we just have to wait and see what will happen. But yeah, bananas. I mean, they're so cute. Like, it's just... Oh, it breaks my heart even more every time I see those sweet scenes. We know what's going to happen, but yeah. Like I said, let's just enjoy it while we can. Then about Tom and little Sibby. Because so last episode we had the christening and Tom now is the agent. So Mary uh, asked him about his new home. New home, by that she means the agent's house. And he talks about it and says, well, um, you know, it's not that bad, but, you know, the furniture was uh, Mr. Jarvis's. So he just needs to have new furniture. But Cora, obviously, she doesn't want to be away from her granddaughter. Said, but, you know, it would be like lonely for you and poor little Sibby and just Nanny. Like there would be no one around. It would be better to stay here in the big house with the whole family. But Tommy says that he thinks it would be right. And once during dinner, they talk about his move again. Well, actually, it's Cora who says, you know, are you sure? It's almost like, are you sure you want to move out? Wouldn't it be better here, like both of you? And just before that, they talk about cricket. We won't talk about it after. But, you know, and Edith says, well, you asked Matthew to twist his arm about cricket, but you're doing exactly the same thing about, you know, moving out. And she says, well, I believe that you're not happier, you know, surrounded by their families. Which in a way is true, but I love it how she actually, in a way, you know, she she says to Robert to stop bullying him about the whole cricket thing, but she does a bit the same, but in the sweetest way, you know, because she's so she talks with a really sweet, nice voice, saying, "Are you sure you don't want to stay? 
but it also is a way to persuade him. It's exactly the same thing that Robert is doing with the cricket. Like, are you sure you don't want to play? But since they have different techniques, it doesn't feel the same. But Edith is right when she says that her mother is twisting his arms because it's exactly what she does. Because every time she's like, are you sure you wouldn't be better here? But in the end, during the cricket match, because in the end, Branson is playing, he sees his daughter with Mary and Matthew. This is so sweet. Like, Oh, they're so sweet all together. It's very, very moving. Uh, especially we have having Mary Matthew with, with little Sibby. I think it's really sweet, really cute. Then he comes to with Cora. And I just love it because you realize now, since uh, Sibyl died, Cora, she's much, much, much nicer to Tom. She's never been unkind to him. You no, know, when he arrived, she said, welcome, Tom, and all that. But I think Sibyl's death brought them closer. Because well, he was Sybil's husband and he loved her very much. And Cora loved her daughter desperately. So I think this might have brought them closer. And little Sibby's birth, actually, I think. I don't know why we love this scene, especially when, when you know, he just arrives and she says, you're very good to play. Like, I know there's something really sweet. I can't even put my finger on it. I just think it's sweet. And then ask her if he can stay for now the house altogether because... He believes that now she might be right. It's best if he's surrounded with all the family. And he says, would it be okay? Obviously, Cora's like, well, obviously, yes, it's okay. She says that she would be delighted. He says, I know it's what Sybil would want. And what I love is when, when Tom says, I think you're right. And then when she kind of lowers her eyes, like, I don't know, you almost feel like she is blushing because he says that she's right. I don't know if you got the same impression, but it's almost like she she's not used to have people saying that she's right. I don't know. I just love this. Just this. I just thought it's really lovely. And you see how they got closer and I love it. I really like this relationship, actually. Uh, but yeah, so Tommy will stay with little Sibby. So we're happy, obviously. And Cora is delighted, but we are too. And Robert, he can say whatever he wants. He is delighted too. Maybe now he's not, but he would be completely delighted. Okay. Now, it's time to talk about Downton management. This has been really a strong storyline in this season. So, the last thing that happened last episode is actually Tom being made the agent. It was Violet's ID. But Cora thought it was the best idea ever because... You know, he's the same age as Matthew, so they can work on the new ideas together. This is a great idea. I mean, Robert doesn't think it is, but it actually is. And so, like I said, Mary and Matthew, when they're together in the bedroom, it's actually, it's a bit like Cobert, you know. They talk about what happened, their plans, stuff like that. I quite like the the parallel because in the end, they turn out to be, uh, Mary turns out to have the same kind of routine as her parents. And Matthew, so he talks about his plan for the house and he says, you know, I think the cricket match arrived at the right time because it can show Robert that we can still keep the tradition and move forward. And then after dinner, Tom, he talks about Matthew's plan to Cora. And actually what he wants is for her to help them convince Robert that this is the right solution. And I love the fact that he's the one getting Cora into this. He knows that if she agrees with them, she's the one that maybe can help them convince Robert. For that, I think sometimes is the most sensible one because he understood that if Cora might agree with them, maybe Robert will come round. I don't know, but I just love the fact that he wants to involve her. He could have just snubbed her, but he didn't. I love the fact that he told her about it, that he included her in this. And I love it. Like I said, I'm really loving their relationship. And then Tom, he's with Robert, but 
Matthew is leaving uh, so to go to London. And Tommy doesn't want to talk about Matthew's plan without Matthew. And Robert is a bit upset because he wants Tom to say anything. But I think Tommy doesn't have the courage to say it. He says, let's just wait for Matthew. And then, where is the moment to talk about the plan? And so, everyone is in the library. When I say everyone, it's Tom, Matthew, Mary, Cora, Robert. And I talk about the plan. And Robert, he does not agree with the plan. He's furious because then Tom says we can make more profit and this is all we can hear, profit, profit, profit. But he thinks about the people and says it's not fair to them. Like for him, what Matthew and Tom wants to do is disrespectful towards the people that have put their faith in them for so long. And the issue is like, they, it's like, um, God, I don't know how to say it. In, in French, we say dialogue de sourd, which would mean it's like um, a death conversation. It's like when, you know, people are talking together, but without really hearing the other. Like, I don't know if you know what I mean, but this is almost what is happening here between Matthew and Robert, because they both have like strong characters and they kind of start shouting at each other because they think that if they speak louder than the, the other, you know, at the end, they will be right. And Matthew, I mean, he's really angry because he thinks that Robert doesn't want to understand. And like I said, he thinks if he speaks louder than him, then he will understand. And I just love this scene for so many reasons and it's long but I think yeah I'm, I'm just gonna play it for you and I'm gonna talk about it after so like I said Matthew he's a bit angry at that moment because um I think he's losing patience with Robert he says Robert the last time you took an interest in investment you ruined the family now look here Robert's been captain of this ship long enough to be entitled to some respect he didn't mean to be disrespectful. He does a marvellous impression of it. We're giving the farmers a choice, that's all. If they want to sell, the larger units will let us meet the challenges of the modern world. We need to build something that will last, Papa, not stand by and watch it crumble into dust. What about the tenants? What about the men and women who put their trust in us? Is this fair to them? I don't believe so. But isn't the most important thing for them or us to maintain Downton as a source of employment? So you're against me too? It seems to me your plan adds up to carrying on as if nothing's changed. To spend Matthew's money keeping up the illusion. Then when we've fallen into a bottomless pit of debt, we'll sell up and go. So yes, I believe Matthew is right. I see. You seem to be agreed there's no place for me in all this. So obviously it's time for me to take a back seat. I love this. Because Matthew, when he gets a bit upset in shouting at Robert, Cora, she's furious. <laughs> And we do not see Cora be angry like that. Almost never. And she's not actually shouting. Well, she is like her voice is a bit louder than she used to. But if you compare to the men, she's still a bit calm. Well, not at that moment. But I just love the fact that because Matthew is being a bit disrespectful towards Robert, Cora, she's angry. Like, okay, you can say things, but there's a limit to that I can accept. But I love it because, yes, she speaks a bit louder, but she's not, she looks furious towards Matthew at that moment, but she is not furious like some others are. I don't know how to say it, but she's still quite calm. But what I love in this is they all speak a bit louder. You know, even Tom says, when he says that, you know, we're giving the farmers a choice. He then speaks a bit louder, saying, okay, listen to me. But then what I love is... Because still, Robert doesn't want to, he doesn't agree. So, but yeah, but there's always but. Like, okay, you have this plan, but about the tenants and about this and about that. And when Cora speaks to him, she has her sweet voice again. Like, her voice is so low. 
if you compare to Matthews and Tom and Robert and even Mary, at that moment she's really calm and she says to him in her way that she thinks that Matthew is right. And I love how she starts to speak with this very calm voice and his look. At that moment you see he is disappointed when he says, so you're against me too. Like he thought that he had his wife on his side and he realized that he is listening to her at that moment because, or maybe not all the time because sometimes he didn't listen to her, but most of the time he listens to his wife. And just the fact that she is keeping her voice very low and, you know, talk in a very calm way, he's listening to her. But at the same time, he's very hurt because she tells him that she believes that Matthew is right. I think this hurts him more than having his son-in-law, well, his sons-in-law and his daughter against him. At the moment, he realizes that he has lost because Cora is against him. But actually, I don't think she's against him. I think she's just with them in a way that I think she understands exactly what he wants to do. She understands his, um, his confliction of why he doesn't think that Matthew's idea is a good one. But at the same time, she also understands why Matthew's idea is a good one. And that way, because first she is sitting on the city and then when Robert says, so you're against me too, and she explains things to him, she stands up, but she still has this sweet voice. I don't know, I just love it because first they were really like arguing and almost shouting and when she just started speaking, everything just went silent and he listened to her and his face almost crumbles when he says, you know, you seem to be agreed that there's no place for me in all this and, uh, you know, it's time for me to take the back seat. And you see, like, they all feel sorry for that. And Cora, she sighs, she's like, this is absolutely not what I wanted. But I love this scene for that. Sometimes shouting and being the loudest will not help you achieve anything. Because in this, Cora is the one who achieved something. And she literally spoke very quietly. I love how she got really angry when Matthew was disrespectful towards Robert. But yeah, I love this scene. And Robert truly breaks my heart at the moment because he's been feeling useless for a while, since the war started, actually. So it's been a while, you know, because the war started in 1914. Right now, I think we're in 1920, 20 or 21. I can't remember. I think we're in 20. So it's been a while that he's been feeling useless. So yeah, I do feel for him, actually. And he has his pride. I think that's also a thing. He has his pride. So that's also an issue here. But then at breakfast, Tom, he talks to him. And I have to say, Tom, he's very good, very eloquent. I mean, he got a point with this talk. Because you see that Robert, he's still offended, you see it. And Tom, he doesn't want Robert to not be part of it. And I love the fact that it's Tom who brings Robert around. Because at first, Robert didn't like him. And now, maybe he's starting to realize that, yes, maybe having Tom in the family and having Tom as a new agent is maybe not a bad idea. Yeah, I love what Tom says. Shall I tell you how I look at it? Every man or woman who marries into this house, every child born into it, has to put their gifts at the family's disposal. I'm a hard worker and have some knowledge of the land. Matthew knows the law and the nature of business. Which I do not. You understand the responsibilities we owe to the people around here, those who work for the estate and those that don't. It seems to me if we could manage to pool all of that, if we each do what we can do, then Downton has a real chance. Thank you, Tom. I don't understand why Matthew hasn't said that. Because I think Matthew is a really... Well, actually, Tom is a really proud man too. And Matthew too. Because Matthew didn't like the idea of him being new to this kind of life. But it was true. It was just to say, hey, I know this. Like, no, like he says, Matthew knows law and business. 
I know a bit about the land. You, as being in charge of real estate for years and been actually raised into it, you know the responsibilities and even the, I think of tradition because you can't change everything without respecting a bit of tradition. So if you just mix it up together, this could be great. This, I don't understand why no one has thought about saying that. Like Matthew, what? Oh, thank you, Tom. I love when he says, you know, every man or woman who marries into this house has put their gifts at the family disposal. Cross gift was her large dowry, which he has put at the family's disposal, and Robert lost everything. But you know, but I just love how Tom says it. I mean, yes, Tom. I told you I started liking Tom after Sybil died, but this is so true. I love this Tom. I know some people like him less because they like the Irish revolutionary, but I really do love this Tom because he's less arrogant. I really love him now. So thank you, Tom. And actually, so Robert, he says, I think about it, but he even says that he's a good spokesman for Matthew's vision. They say we think about it on one condition. Well, we talk about this condition just after that. But then during the cricket match, Robert, he says to Matthew that, okay, he's ready to follow uh, them in their plans. And no, let's, let's see what the future brings. So yes, Tom, he did it. But I think Tom did it. But also the fact that Cora was on their side kind of helped. Maybe it's just me loving Cora so much and think that maybe because she was on their side he was like okay maybe maybe <laughs> my wife thinks it's a good idea maybe it's not such a bad one but yeah now we just have to wait and see what the future brings bananas because if it's down to management it's kind of an end here but it's definitely not the end because this whole thing we follow us to I don't want to say through the rest of the show maybe I will stop saying bananas from now on because we, this whole idea of the future and new way of managing downtown we definitely follow us through the whole show so yeah maybe i would stop saying bananas from now on but now it's time for me to talk about what we've all been waiting for the cricket match because cricket is definitely one of the most important things in downtown abbey i don't think there is if you've seen every episode something that robert is more passionate about than cricket truly so actually uh, when the episode starts we see people mowing that's how you say the grass mowing the cutting the grass so that the field will be ready for the cricket match and Mosley is with his father and says you know how is the um, the team at the house because we're in the village we take these things seriously and Mosley he says nobody takes it more seriously than his lordship well ain't that the truth because at the beginning when the girls are with Robert in the library. He says that maybe they have a chance uh, with Thomas because apparently Thomas is really good at cricket. But Edith says that he's not supposed to leave soon. And Robert's like, well, well he's not leaving if I have a say in it because he's good at cricket, so he will stay. And where they talk about it, and Edith says that apparently uh, the gardener, I think it's a gardener who said, Anna, that their uh, team is in terrific shape. You know, apparently they're really good. Like the village team is always very good. And he said, but why don't you support the house team and the village? Because you own both. But Robert is captain of the house team, so he can't really support both. <laughs> but I like when Cora says, if I were you, I would be captain of the village because they always win. <laughs> Robert, because he's still project, not always, usually, but not always. No, sometimes we win. And when Matthew, he comes to see Mary, he talks about cricket. You know, he said, apparently they lost last year. It's actually because they lost apparently very badly last year against the village that Robert really wants to win this year. Anna is here to dress Mary for dinner. And he even says, well, Bates must be feeling lucky to be out of it. And Anna, 
she jokes and she's like, well, you know, I think he would like to walk normally, you know, even if the page press was to play cricket. But you see how she said it, and she even looks at Mary through the mirror that she said it in a joking tone. And Matthew, he feels so bad, like, yes, of course, I'm so sorry. And like, no, it's okay, I was only joking. But I love how Matthew's like, oh yeah, what am I saying? I'm so sorry. And downstairs, they talk about cricket too, because Mosley can't stop talking about cricket. And in the kitchen, because he follows Mrs. Papmore through the kitchen, and you can see that she is a bit fed up by him talking about cricket, but he says that cricket isn't his blood, but he didn't play before because he wasn't part of the house, he could play for the village and all that. And so they kind of make fun of him in the kitchen. Ivy says, well, we should start a fan club. And Moses is like, no, I should. I just want to do what's right for the house. I just want to play my part, you know. And Mrs. Papmore, <laughs> she's really making fun. He said, well, your modesty is an example to us all. But at the end, they just laugh because really, he can't stop talking about it like he's a specialist at cricket. And then, uh, just before dinner, the same scene where Cora and Robert, they look at each other when she comes into the room. Robert, he talks with Tom and he wants him to play cricket. And Tom says, what well, I want. And I love it because when they talk about this, you see that Cora is looking at them because she's listening to the conversation. Robert said, but can't you try? He's like, but I've never played cricket in my life. And everyone says, well, it wasn't part of my childhood. I mean, you know, if you can believe it. Robert, he's really like, but can't you just try to play cricket? And Cry asks him to stop to bully him. But Robert's like, cricket? I just laugh because when it's about cricket, you see Robert, he acts like a child. Really. We all know that Robert has this boyish face, but the boyish features of his face, I don't even know if that means anything, but it kind of kind of stand out a bit more when he talks about cricket. And then in the servants for Carson, he reviews who's going to play for the match. But it says that he can't play, but he can keep score. And Ivy, she asks about Thomas. Are you not playing? It's no, I will be gone. We're going to talk about Thomas after. Thomas deserves his own little part. And so then Carson, he comes to talk about it with Robert when Robert is with Cora. No, he says um, he wants to bring him up to date with the team. And says that there are only one short. Uh, and Robert says, well, two, because Branson won't play. And then Cora, she takes Tom's defense because she knows that he doesn't want to play because he can't play cricket. And so she says, Mr. Branson is busy at the moment. And Carson's answer is just, this scene, I love this scene. Is he, my lady? Might I point out that we're all busy, but we still find time to support the honor of the house? Yes, but that is not the right road to travel, Carson, if we want to remain in her ladyship's good graces. What I love is Cora's face, her reaction. She's rolling her eyes like she's so fed up by the cricket. Like, please leave me alone with your cricket. I just love it. And to quote some in this fandom, I don't know who started to say that. She's rolling her eyes in another dimension. <laughs> I don't know who started to say that. I can't remember. But anyway, I just love how Carson is so proud, you know. I'm playing cricket to support the honor of the house. <laughs> oh, I love how Robert's like, yes, thank you, Carson. Like, Robert is really grateful for Carson, but then he's like, yeah, but maybe it's best to not talk about cricket when her ladyship is there. But then again, you know, we say Mosley can't stop talking about cricket, and he would do that in a couple of scenes. He would talk about cricket on and on and on. In the end, it almost feels like he's like a, a professional player, you know. And during dinner, they talk about cricket again, and this time it's Matthew who asks Tom if he's still not playing, you know. And Tom is like, no, I can't play, I won't play. And Christ stops twisting his arm and that's when, you know, she asks him if he really wants to move out. And when Edith says, well, you ask Matthew not to twist his arm, but you're doing exactly the same. And 
when Bates is with Robert and talk about Thomas, we're going to talk about the whole Thomas situation, like I said, after that. But Robert, actually, a part of him wants him to stay because Thomas is really good at cricket. Bates, he, he doesn't want Thomas to stay, obviously. It's like, but can't he just, like, stay for the match and then leave after him? Robert's like, yeah, but this, I mean, it looks like we're using him. It's not very fair. And I just love his face and the way he says to Bates, Don't forget the cricket. And at the end, you know, when he takes off his bow tie, this little smirk, I think, like, this guy is obsessed with cricket. I just love it. Like, his face, I mean, he looks like a young boy. I'm sorry, but yeah. That isn't boyish face. I don't know what is. And so remember, down to management, Tom trying to convince Robert to come around and to follow them in their plan. I said that Robert, he accepted to think about it on one condition. And this condition was for Tom to play cricket for the house. When he says that, Carson, he looks so proud in the background because he says, well, you said it yourself. You know, we uh, must all do what we can do. But I love how he says that. Like, he's very, very proud of his condition. And the end, Tommy's like, oh, okay, that means so much to you. Carson is really happy. And Robert, he's glowing. Like, this is the best news. Like, he's just smiling. Then, um, no, if I find it so funny. That's why I love this episode. Because the whole cricket storyline is just so funny. It makes me laugh. Because he's very proud of him. You know, at the end. But it's like, yes, I convinced Tom to play cricket for us. Well, because now, actually, at that moment, Thomas is still here to play cricket. They only needed one more player, and so Tom is the one. But I just love Robert's face. So Matthew, he helps Tom to practice cricket because Tom has never played cricket in his life. So Matthew is teaching him at first time he's like yeah but there's no point and Matthew's like no I will try my best to make you a decent player because thanks to you Robert is coming along well, maybe not right away but you know Robert might come along thanks to you so you know I will train you to be like the best cricket player you could be and so then it's the moment of the match the cricket match it starts the village is ready they play uh, and you see, like, Thomas, apparently, you see that he's really good. Even Robert, he congratulates him. I think that he did a good show. I don't know, because I have no idea how to play that. To be honest, I think British people would kill me. But when I look at it, it looks a bit like baseball. I know it's not the same. And technically, maybe it's actually baseball that looks like cricket. Maybe then the other way around, you know, in terms of history. I don't know. But I have no idea how you play it. Because when you, and you see that, it looks like baseball. But it, it feels like there's differences, but to be honest, I don't care. I just watch it and I love their outfit, actually. I think it's quite nice. I just love the summery outfits when they're like all in white, like when they have the garden party and all that. I quite like it. Anyway, they're playing and apparently they're not that bad thanks to Thomas. And then it's Moses' time to play. And Mary says, well, apparently we can expect great things from Mosley because, you know, in the servants' quarters, he couldn't stop talking about cricket. But Mosley, he misses. And so when Robert is a bit disappointed, you know, I just love it because in the end, Mosley's father says that he could always pick a good game of cricket, but he could never play it, which I think is really funny. But in the very end of this cricket match, very, very end, Tom, he catches the ball, which means that the game is over. Well, not the whole game, but just like for this player, which is exactly like baseball, because when you, you know, catch the ball, like instantly... Like you out. I played a bit of baseball when I was in school. Um, but yeah, it actually looks a bit like it. 
But like I said, maybe it's more baseball that looks a bit like cricket. I don't know. If someone knows stuff and you want to share your knowledge with me, feel free. Be happy to learn new things. But I loved in the last shot because Tom is like, oh my God, I catch the ball. This is exactly me in every sport that we have to catch a ball because I am so bad. I can like, I am very good at avoiding them. So when we had to play dodgeball, I think that's it, dodgeball, I was really good at avoiding balls, but I couldn't catch them. Anyway, need to stop talking about my life. Um, But when he catches it, it, they're so happy. I mean, Robert, oh my God, they're all so happy because that means, you know, it's good for the team. I just love this last shot, this um, shot in slow motion between Matthew Roberts and Tom and having Tom and Robert shaking hands. I just love it because it's all like, we kind of all come together, like the future. You have like these two, Tom and Matthew being the future because they're the youngest. But Robert being like the tradition, all them coming together, like, as a team, I just love it. I think it's a very nice way to end the season because yes, we know we have the Christmas special, but the Christmas special was at Christmas. So well, it depends. June kept saying that in the US, there were no break between the last bit of the season and the Christmas special, but in the UK, there was a break. So that's why they had to manage to have a end of the season that could actually be an end, but so that the Christmas show could also be like a following episode i don't know if you understand what i mean but anyway i think it's a really nice way to end the season and most of the story because most of the storylines that we had are finished you know the big ones so yeah i just love it and i don't know if they actually won the cricket game but it makes us feel like they won it so let's just let's just say they won this one because roberts would be really happy and that would be great if they won because tom has catched the ball imagine that i mean tom would be the new hero so that could be good Now, before talking about Thomas, I just want to talk a bit about Bates and Anna. Very briefly, but Bates has a lot of importance in Thomas' storyline. So I just want to talk about him and Anna. Because, like I said, he's free. It's so nice. Oh, yes. I mean, they're happy. They're truly happy. I just love it. And they uh, go to see their new cottage. And you see that it's better than nothing, but it's not, you know, that great. But Anna, she's very optimistic and says, you know, I think together if we just put a bit on hard work, we can make it quite comfy. We can make it great. You know, you just need a bit of paint and, uh, you know, stuff like that. But I think we could make something great out of it. And I just thought it's so cute because he says, no, just you being here um, is enough to make it nice, which I think is very, very sweet. I just really love it when it's like Mary and Matthew, they have really those moments of pure joy and happiness, which I think is really, really great because, I mean, since they've been married, they didn't have a lot. So that's great. I love um, that scene when they're painting the wall. Because I would find that doing it together. I think it's really sweet. And when they talk about Thomas. Again, we're going to talk about Thomas later. But I, I just love it. Because then Bates managed to have some paint in his, in his eye. And Anna makes fun of him. Like, it's just really sweet. A really casual thing, you know. It doesn't have to be even romantic. It's just like when I said I love really simple scenes between Cora and Robert. Just talking about anything. I just like that too. You know, just just together painting their wall. It's not doesn't feel when you say like that really romantic. It just feel casual. But I love it because we never had a lot of really casual scenes between Bates and Anna. So I mean, and they look really happy. Actually, then every other banner scenes that we have is related to the Thomas storyline. And actually, in the end, Bates thought he was getting rid of Thomas. He was kind of happy about it. 
but instead he wanted to help him because you realize he doesn't really like injustice because he was the victim of an injustice and even says to Anna you know she says why are you bothering with Thomas he says well I know what it feels like to be powerless and to you know have things against you and you know I think is unfair but you can't do anything about it so in a way that's how you think that he's deep down he's really a good man because even if he doesn't like Thomas if the situation is unfair he says, it's not fair you know so he wants to make it right but in the end actually we know that Thomas will stay and so um, Thomas is still here. A bit, Bates is a bit upset about that because he thought he was getting rid of him. And in the end, Thomas is still here. But at least he's with Anna and they're happy for now. Like Mary and Matthew, you know, let's enjoy it while we can. Bananas. And now, finally, to end this episode, I'm going to talk about Thomas. I love his storyline in this episode. It's also a reason why I love this episode. I love Thomas, um, Thomas's evolution in the show because I love when characters are not like all white or all black, especially the ones that are not all black. And you are not born evil. I mean, to quote one of my favorite TV shows, in once upon a time to say, evil isn't born, it's made. And I believe in that. I think it's really rare when someone is really appear evil that, that it isn't a part of light in them. And, and there's always a reason why they are evil. Well, sometimes not always, but most of the times I just say that just to let you remember he kissed Jimmy because he thought that Jimmy might have feelings for him or that you know Thomas he kept saying nice things to him and he was kind of flirting with him a bit and Jimmy never said that he didn't like it so he thought maybe it was something was possible and because O'Brien kept telling him that apparently Jimmy couldn't stop talking about him this was all bullshit so Thomas came to kiss Jimmy. Maybe that was not the best way to do it. And Jimmy got really mad because Alfred came in. So he saw it. And we saw how Thomas was affected when Jimmy said, there's nothing between us, like, just get out. And the thing that is complicated is that it's not just that he has been rejected. It's that if him or Alfred or anyone talks to the police, Thomas will go to jail. It's not fair. And you feel really bad because this is also a reason why he's evil it's not like pure evil but you realize that Thomas is the way he is because he finds it's easier to have no friends and to be kind of isolated from the rest of the world because he's different and the society tells him that he's something sinful that he's not supposed to live in a way he kind of put a barrier between him and the others because he's afraid to be too close to someone and then maybe being brokenhearted or even betrayal I don't know, it's how I see it. And maybe we don't know about history with this family, but his life can't be easy. Anyway, so we left last episode with him in Mr. Carson's office, Mr. Carson being really appalled by all this. But in the end, he says, you know, um, Jimmy should report to the police, but I don't think it would come to that. In a way to say that, I think you would just need to go and, you know, it would just settle that. And so in this episode, Carson, he says to Thomas that he has to go because Mr. Bates is back. And about this whole story, I think it would be just better if he goes. And Carson says, I will write you a perfectly acceptable reference so you could find a job elsewhere. And no one will have to know about your story. There's something that you have been twisted by nature into something foul. But I just love when he says, but even I know that you have not asked for it. So in a way, he even says that it's how you are. It's not something that you have chosen. Even if he says that he's something foul, like he really doesn't like it. But I just like the fact that he acknowledges that for him, you know, you didn't ask for it. 
But I love when Thomas leaves and before leaving he says, I'm not foul, Mr. Carson. I'm not the same as you, but I'm not foul. What I love in this is you see how Thomas is down, like he is almost depressed because so many things happened and I really believe that he doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to say it, but I believe he loves to be at Downton because it's weird, but everybody, not everybody, but almost everybody knows about him being homosexual. Uh, maybe he doesn't know that everybody knows, but they all can accept it in a way that we know, like it's a fact, you know, just go on with it. And people are still nice to him. Like, I think he had some great memories there. Even if he had not some good friendship. I mean, Anna has been really kind to him at some moments. Even the war years with Sybil, I think he quite likes being at Downton. And apparently doesn't want to leave. But I, mean, I just love when he says that because you see all the emotions when he says it. And when they get out of uh, Carson's pantry. O'Brien was there listening. And I just love when Carson says, Mr. O'Brien, don't you have something else to do? Then eavesdropping. It's like, well, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, like, my eye, you weren't. We know she was listening. And then she says to Jimmy that apparently Mr. Carson would do something about Thomas, that if he wants to say something, it's the moment for him to speak out. And then she tells him that apparently Mr. Carson would just let him go. and won't do anything. And Jimmy's like, well, yeah, I mean, I can't do anything about it. Actually, I think Jimmy just wants him gone. He's like, I don't care what happens, I just want him gone. O'Brien says, but you should say something, you know, because it's so, I mean, this is something very serious, you know. It's not like O'Brien was friends with Thomas, but now it's very serious, you know, him being gay. Oh my God, I'm shocked. Come on. And she actually says to Jimmy that he should talk to Carson and says that, but tell him that you want him to give him a bad reference or you would tell the police. And then, so it was Thomas last day and a dressing room is here with Bates and Robert. And Robert says, well, he says goodbye to Barrow and he wish him well. And Bates actually asks Thomas, what will you do? Or where will you go? And Thomas is like, well, what's it to you? Like, why do you care? And Bates is like, well, no, you're right. I don't care. Uh, which is how they are together. But then Jimmy, he's with Carson and he says exactly what O'Brien says to him. He asks Carson to write a bad reference to Thomas. Uh, Carson, he is shocked. He's like, what? Because Carson, he doesn't want a scandal. And even if what Thomas did was wrong, I don't think he even wants to write a bad reference because Thomas, maybe he's not the nicest person ever, but he's not a bad employee. Like, he's not bad at his job. So just if you consider his job, he can't say anything wrong. Because I believe that Carson believes in all that stuff. So even if he doesn't like Thomas, he would not just give him a bad reference because he wants to, because he doesn't like him. If he does a good job, he would just give him the, a reference he deserves. And Jimmy says, well, you know, maybe I should tell the police because I can't not say anything because it's a sin. I mean, oh, come on, really. Like, it's so exaggerated. Like, and we know he does that because O'Brien makes him believe that he has to. But this is... And Carson doesn't know what to do because he doesn't believe in scandal. And I don't believe in scandal either. Like, this would be the worst thing. So he doesn't know what to do. And then he talks with Thomas. And Thomas, well, he's crying because obviously this is the worst thing that could happen to him. Because I have to leave with no reference. And Carson, I don't know what to do. Because if I give you a reference, a good one, then he will tell the police. And that will not help you. <laughs> because, yeah. The Bahamas supposed to find a job. You see that Carson is very, very conflicted because that's not what he wanted. And I like that because Carson is not Thomas' biggest fan, but he thinks that this is unfair. Then Thomas, he takes Jimmy's defense and says that someone must have put him up to that. I don't think he would have done that by himself, which is actually is true. Like, he's right. 
And Catherine is even touched by this because, I mean, it's because of Jimmy that Thomas will leave with no reference. And so while Thomas obviously feels very bad and we feel, I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel very bad for him because he does not deserve this. And then, oh my God, one of my favorite scenes from this episode, Thomas is outside crying and Mrs. Hughes, she sees him and she's concerned and she said but what are you doing you know and she says well i know you're leaving but you can't be as black as that you know because you're trained you can apply for butler like, you can have a nice job in another house so i think we, you would be fine and then well, thomas says well you don't know everything then because obviously if she says that i mean she doesn't know that he will have to live with no reference and she says then will you tell me everything I'm afraid if I do miss you that it will shock and disgust you. Shock and disgust? I my. I think I have to hear it now. I love this scene because Mrs. Hughes, she believes in justice, I think. And she, I think she's a really kind and thoughtful person. And when she saw him crying, which is something she has never seen before, well, except when Sybil died, I think she really felt sorry for him because she thought if he is crying, that means something must be wrong. And she's such a kind person that she wants to know where he is. And I mean, Mrs. always knows everything or she's bound to know everything. So I really like that she wants to speak to him. She's like, you know, tell me what's wrong. Maybe, I, I don't know, it can help. I'm, I just love this and I love Mrs. Hughes. And so then Mrs. Hughes, she is with Carson. And she tells him that Thomas has told her everything. And I just love Carson. is like, well, I'm just sorry you had to listen to such horrors. And I love Mrs. Hughes says, well, do you think he's the first man of that sort that came across to and she says that she's angry at Jimmy. She says, I think he might have led him on. Um, not deliberately, but he, he says, no, he's such a flirt. And which, this is actually true in a way. But she, I mean, she's angry at Jimmy so bad. She's, I'm not going to let this little asshole, I would say, you know, just ruin a man's life because that's what he's doing. And she even says a man who was wounded in the service of king and country, where well, we know how Thomas was wounded, but in a way he, he did serve for his country. But I just saw in Carson, she said, what should we do? Because if I give him a reference, he would tell, tell the police. So in case you know, those practices that you are so familiar with are against the law. And he's right to say, but what should we do? Or he leaves with no reference, so he has no job, at least he's a free man. Or we give him a reference so he could find a job, but Jimmy tells the police and then he will go to jail. So what can we do? And yeah, that's tricky because they don't know what they can do. They're kind of stuck right now. And then Bates, I like this scene too. Bates is out in front of his cottage and Thomas is here. And Thomas says that he envies him. He says, not really. No, everyone is happy for you. Uh, the happy couple and all that. I envy you. Bates uh, says to him, well, maybe if you could be a bit nicer. And Thomas then says, it's being nice that got me into trouble. I love when he says that because that's actually quite true. Maybe he was a bit too touchy with Jimmy, but he was really nice to him. I think after the war, he tried, maybe not with the one that were already here because they knew him, but since Jimmy was a newbie, he thought, I'm going to be nice to him, you know, where he was attracted to him. That is true. But I thought it was, you know, he doesn't know me, so I can be nice to him because he doesn't know who I am. But it's a bit startled by that. And then, you know, when I said they talk about cricket and the seven soul and Carson talks about who's going to play with the team and Ivy asked Thomas if he's going to play. And Thomas said, well, no, I will be gone by then. O'Brien, she's smiling, which is creepy. We know it's not something we used to see. And Bates sees that. He's like, okay, there is something. Especially because when O'Brien talked to Jimmy and I think that's when 
she told him that he should ask Carson to give Thomas a bad reference. He appeared in the doorway, so we understood that he maybe not have heard everything, but you see his face. He saw it was something weird. And seeing O'Brien smiling, you see that he's like, okay, there is really something weird. And you know, when uh, Bates and Anna were painting the wall, he said, maybe I'll ask Mrs. Hughes because she usually knows what's going on. And it's true, Mrs. Hughes usually knows everything is going on. So yeah. So he asks Mrs. Hughes, and Mrs. Hughes tells him everything. And he says, well, now I understand. And she just asks him if he's not too shocked. He says, no, but I understand why, why Mr. Carson is not, it's not like we didn't know about Thomas. And Mrs. Hughes says, yes, but we didn't know officially. Now we know it's official, so we can't just pretend. Um, and she says, but we don't know what to do because if we give him a good reference and Jimmy talks to the police, then he would go to prison. And Bates says, no, I do not wish that on any man. Like I said, I love when characters that kind of hated the, each other at the moment, then when one helped the other, because because in in this case, it's just about being fair. And I believe, yeah, when I believe Bateman says, I do not wish down any man because I was in jail. And even Thomas, I don't want him to be in jail. Like, no, he doesn't deserve it. And him being actually a homosexual, I think he would die in jail, to be honest, which is very, very sad. So, yeah. Then um, Jimmy still wants to know when Thomas is leaving. And he comes to see Carson when he's talking with Bates. And I just love that scene because we realized that Carson, he, he told Bates everything that had happened at Downton when he was away in prison. Because then he talked about, uh, you know, Mr. Swire's money and all that. So I think it's quite nice. And so then Jimmy asked when Mr. Barry is going. So because he says, well, I think the situation is quite awkward. And I love how Bates takes Thomas' defense. Is where he made a mistake. He still one piece. Like, why do you have to keep going on and on about it? And then Jimmy, he's a bit upset about uh, how Mr. Bates talked to him. And so in the service, we say, well, um, he talks a bit about it. And Ivy says, is it because Mr. Carson's not giving uh, Mr. Barrow a reference? Because I don't think it's right. And Jimmy says, well, I do bloody think it's right. And she's like, but what did I say? Like, she doesn't understand. And you see that Daisy doesn't say at all. And O'Brien just tells her to stay out of it. But you see that she's a bit startled because obviously she doesn't know what happened, but she doesn't think it's fair because it is not fair. And then in the kitchen, actually, they talk about it. Like Ivy, Daisy, Mrs. Papel, because they don't understand. Like Daisy and Ivy don't understand why Mr. Carson is not giving Thomas a reference. And then Ivy said, but why no one wants to tell us what's going on? And Mrs. Papel said, well, because you, w- you wouldn't understand. And she says, I very much hope so, something like that um because if you see from the exterior yeah it's not fair but i do believe that even mrs patmore thinks it's not fair because she knows about thomas but i think it's not fair because i don't think she likes jimmy actually so yeah i do believe she thinks it's not fair oh and then my favorite scene of this episode definitely between bates and robert bates is dressing robert um, I'm going to cut this discussion in a little part so I can comment, actually, because I have a lot of comment for this scene. Um, so I talk about the Thomas situation. And Robert says, Why didn't Carson tell me? He's the one who's being undermined. It's a very difficult subject for him to discuss. I can imagine. But it's not as if we didn't all know about Barrow. That's what I said to Mrs. Hughes. I love it because when Thomas learned that he had to leave with no reference. I'm going to talk about it with, with his lordship because I don't think he would agree. And Mr. Carson says, and how will you do that without telling him the rest of it? Because for him, Carson is like, you're not going to tell that to his lordship because I think maybe Carson thinks that Robert doesn't know about Thomas. And I love because in this, Robert literally tells Bates, 
I mean, we all knew about Bauer. Like, we all know that he likes men. I mean, yeah. Like, it's common knowledge. You know, the sky is blue, the grass is green, Thomas Bauer is gay. Like, you know, <laughs> it's a fact. That's how it is. And I do believe that if Thomas have talked about it with Robert, Robert would have said that this is not right. Even, you know, if he made a mistake. Like Bates said to Jimmy, he made a mistake. He's still in peace. Like, so I really like how to discuss it because... I do believe that Robert would have been on Thomas's side because he is there. He even says, why cousin didn't talk about it with me? And then, oh my God, this line, one of my favorite lines of Robert, I think one of my favorite lines of the show, this is hilarious. Robert says, I mean, if I shouted blue murder every time someone tried to kiss me at Eton, I'd have gone hoarse in a month. Well, this line and Bates' smirk in the background, I just love it. And this also makes me think that, yes, he would have been on Thomas's side because he just said it, you know. Like, if he had to go to a priest every time a man kissed him, he would have put, like, dozens of men in prison. I mean, he must have been really popular back then. I'm just saying. I don't know if you remember episode two of season one, when Robert said that we all have chapters we would rather keep unpublished. I said, you know, why are yours, Robert? Maybe something that happened at Eton. Well, maybe something that happened at Eton with all those uh, men. Maybe... This is a chapter of his life that he, he would rather keep unpublished, but I would really love to know more about it, if I can be honest. And about this line, actually, Julian made a short comment, but he said, this line brought me a lot of letters, I can tell you. And I'm very curious to know what those letters said. I'm really curious, but I love this line. And what I love is that Robert just says it casually, you know. They're just talking and he says, well, I mean, if I shall be murder every time someone tries to kiss me, I eat and I'm going to go. Like, he just says it like that and Bates smirking in the background. just love it. And then the rest of the conversation. What a tiresome fellow. It's not the boy's fault, my lord. He's been whipped up, told if he doesn't see it through, we'd all suspect him of batting for the same team. Crikey. But who'd do that? Who's got it in for Barrow? Miss O'Brien. O'Brien? I thought they were as thick as thieves. Not now, my lord. I love it because Robert is like, okay, so he understands the problem when Bates says that it's not Jimmy's fault because he's been accused that if he doesn't say anything, people will think he's, well, gay too. Robert's like, but yeah, but who would do that? Because this, I think at that moment, Robert's like, but this is a really twisted thing to do and this is really mean. Like, it's not just you losing your job. At that moment, it's you, it's ruining your life if you go to jail. Like, I think it's very, very serious. And when Bates says O'Brien, he's really shocked, like, O'Brien? And he's really shocked because he said, I thought, you know, O'Brien, Thomas, I mean, they were, they were working together against you at the time. Like, what? <laughs> doesn't really get it. Yeah, I really, really do love this scene for that line. I mean, you have understood, I think. I really love this scene. And then Bates, comes to see Thomas. And Thomas says, well, prison has changed you because before that you wanted to get rid of me. And Bates says, well, prison has changed me. I think, yeah, he doesn't like injustice even more now because he's been a victim of it. And he says, but there's nothing you can do. And I don't even say, but maybe give me the weapon against O'Brien and I'll do the work. So I love the fact that he thinks that Thomas has something against O'Brien, but he doesn't want to use it because I think he's just tired, you know, at that moment. I think it's just, yeah. And you see Thomas is thinking and you see something's like, maybe I have something. And so then we see O'Brien leaving the house. And she actually come to the Bates' cottage. Anna, she's a bit, she's not really happy about it. She's like, no, she will be our first guest. I'm not really sure I like the idea of O'Brien being the first guest. And I, I agree with her. You know, he's like not the best first guest ever. And she's smiling. Oh, yes, he's very nice. I'm, I'm so sorry, but her smiling sounds, I mean, it 
her smiling looks so fake. Like, oh, I can't. And so they talk to the three of them about Thomas. And Bates says, but why are you doing that against him now? You know, now you, you already knew about him. She's like, well, maybe I've come to my senses. And when Anna says, oh, you mean you found a way to be nastier than usual? And this is so true because they all knew about Thomas but never said anything. I mean, I don't know, but Anna or even Bates, when Thomas was against him, they could have said something and sent him to jail, but they didn't because they're like, this is, I think they better, it's, no, it's not his fault and this is not right. It's not a fair way to get rid of someone who, or, you know, to have revenge on someone. I don't know. It's very a low shot. And then uh, Bates says, well, you will tell and ask Jimmy to withdraw what he said. Like, why would I do that? And then he whispers something to her ear. And her face crumbles, literally. She's starting shaking. And Bates tells her, you will do that by tonight or your secret is no longer safe with me. So you're all wondering, well, why did he say it? Because it was really short. And when I say her face crumbles, like, really, we have never seen O'Brien is such distress, except when Cora was dying from Spanish flu, where she's not dead, thank God. But you know, you remember. And so then back at downtown, she says to Jimmy to let it go. She finds excuses, but you see, she looks in distress. And she says, no, but you know, that would be the nicest thing to do. And people even think that you are such a gentleman to let him go with that. You know, it'd be okay. And Jimmy said, I never wanted you for it to go this far. So, but yeah, so now I let it go. So he talks about it to Carson. And so you realize that, yes, Thomas will have his reference. But you know the scene when Robert said to Bates, don't forget the cricket. Well, they're talking about it. And he says, it's so such a shame that Thomas should leave because he's so good at cricket. Like maybe he could stay, you know, and Carson, he needs to, to say that he's still the boss. So maybe having Thomas uh, stay will show Jimmy that Carson is the boss. Actually, it's just an excuse because... Robert just want him to play cricket and Bates he's being not good at all he said I helped him so I could have a good reference and go not so he could stay and in the end because Robert won't say where Thomas will stay because don't forget the cricket and then you just have Alfred talking to Jimmy about Thomas and it's true that you let him go with all there and Jimmy says you know he was only going on and on and now he would just have his reference he would go Alfred says, well, apparently we stay for the cricket match. Say we stay for the cricket match, but then he would go. See, Alfred, he's, you see, he's troubled with this too. And then Mr. Carson, Mrs. Hughes, Anna and Beth stay together. They talk about Thomas again, say, but if he stays, what would he be? And Mrs. Hughes says, well, maybe you can make him under butler. You know, your dinner would be grand enough for anybody because, you know, Carson, he likes to be everything proper. If he could have 15 foot many woods, so like, you know, make him under butler. At first, Bates is like, okay, so he would be my superior? Like, this is, no. But then Carson is like, yeah, but head valet, hand of butler. It's like, it's the same. He says, you know what? I just love when he says, you know what? It's his lordship who wants uh, Mr. Barrow to stay. So his lordship can say it to Jimmy, you know, because it's like, how are we going to say it to Jimmy and to like the staff that he's staying? He's like, well, his lordship can do it. I, I really love how he says that. You know, he's the one who wants him to stay. He can do it. And so then it's the cricket match. And Bates and Anna, they talk together. And Bates is like, well, you know, I've been such a fool. I, I want just to help him get, get out and, and leave, you know. And now he's above me, like he's my superior. I just love that he, you know, he laughed about it, but he still did it. And I really like it. It's when Anna was nice with Thomas. After all the bad things that he did to them, in the end, that show 
that they are really nice people and i really believe that bates him being in prison changed him and he's like he maybe he sometimes he was an asshole but he does not deserve to be in prison and like i said i do believe that he thinks if thomas goes in jail he would die there i think to be honest i think people kill him there that would be awful and he doesn't deserve it especially for that you know nothing that bad happened and so then anna is curious and she has the question that we we've been uh, asking ourselves since that moment uh, in their cottage she's like what did you say to O'Brien? And Bates says, her ladyship soap. And Anna doesn't understand, but we, we understand. It's funny because in the comments, Julian uh, was afraid that maybe people wouldn't understand right away where it was because it was such a long time ago. Obviously, if you've been watching the show, you must have seen episode seven or season one like two weeks ago or even two days ago. <laughs> but if you watch it like when it was aired, it was like two years ago. So maybe you have forgotten it. But he said, apparently it did the trick and people remember it it was such a traumatizing thing like events you know the miscarriage and all that because of o'brien and the soap that i think we all remembered i don't know about you but um, obviously when anna is what we are like oh my god and we understand the distress in which o'brien was in because remember when cora had spanish flu she said that she wanted to say the thing about the soap and she never said it i just have one question if Thomas knew about it, does he know everything? Because just said her ladyship soap, maybe he doesn't want to say more. So, you know, um, because, you know, it's still something that O'Brien confided in him. But I just want, did she actually told him that she placed the soap so that Cora would slip and lose the baby? Or he just knew like that? This is something I've been asking myself. So if you're listening to that and you have an idea or thought, Please share them with me because I am wondering if he knew everything or he just knew this tiny bit about the soap, you know, around the time of the miscarriage. Because Thomas was not nice around the time of the miscarriage and O'Brien was really feeling down. So I found it weird that he knows about it. Does he know everything or not? Please share your thoughts with me, please. Because well, I'm asking myself all these questions, so please. And a part of me wish that we had a scene where crap. Uh, learn about it. or even robert because robert he always hated o'brien and i think no one ever asked themselves like o'brien said that the soap was under the bath and then cora wants to go out of the bath and she slipped on it like when o'brien said he was under it like no one ever asked questions maybe at the time though because we're all traumatized by the events but i read the fan fiction on it once when cora she learns about what happened and that's because of brian she lost her baby but i, I wish we could have had a scene where she learned about it or robert or someone learned about it really but yeah we didn't then robert he talks with james and he tells him that oh it's really nice of you to let thomas stay on and james at the beginning is like uh well i i agreed to uh let him having a good reference not for him to stay on and then robert says well oh congratulations for your new position as first footman and carson's like what and Robert, obviously, he understands that so that Jimmy would let Thomas alone, he has to give something in exchange. And so he gives him this position at first footman. Carson, he's not, he doesn't like it. But Robert's like, it's this or we will be trouble. So I think he was kind of right, even if Jimmy doesn't really deserve to be first woman, you know. But then you see Alfred, he seems nervous. And then the police is here. And apparently the police wants to talk to Alfred. And at first... Robert is like, Alfred, like, Alfred could have been in trouble. Like, no. So, no, but he made a complaint about Thomas Barrow. 
And so, obviously, Robert, he understands. So he says, I will fetch Alfred. Obviously, he wants to fetch him because he wants to talk to him. The police, they understand what's going on. You know, they don't want him to go because they know that he might talk Alfred out of it and all that. But they don't have really a choice because technically he's Lord Grantham. So they don't really have a choice. And then Robert talks with Alfred. And I, lo- I love this scene too. It's one of my favorite scenes too. I have like a dozen of favorite scenes. But I really love this scene because... Robert talks to him and he tries to convince him to not talk about Thomas. And Alfred says, yeah, but, but I know I saw, you know, I saw Thomas like kissing Jimmy and I know it were right. And Robert, he tells him. I'm not asking you to abandon your beliefs, Alfred, just to introduce a little kindness into the equation. Am I not to stand up against evil? Evil? Thomas does not choose to be the way he is. And what harm was done, really, that his life should be destroyed for it? Well, Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Are you without sin, Alfred? For I am certainly not. I love this. I love the fact that he says Thomas does not choose to be the way he is. I just say, you know, for him, it's just where Thomas is gay, just like, the, um, I don't know, the, the grass is green and the sky is blue. Like, it's it's a fact. That's how he is. Just like, cries blue eyes and Mary has brown eyes. Like, you know, like, it's a fact. It's how he is. And he's right when he says, but what harm was done, really? I mean, yes, okay, Jimmy was kissed. He didn't want it to, but like, oh, come on. If you would have been someone else, I would say, yeah, okay. But it's Jimmy, so, okay, I don't like Jimmy, so I don't care. And you know, he's so right. I mean, he, his life will be destroyed because of that. So really, you know, he made a mistake, but in the end, no real harm was done. And when he says that, he's not without sin, because yes, obviously. We just have to think about um, Jane and all that because, uh, yeah, are we still heard about this? Yes. And we will be for the rest of our lives until we die. Okay. But yeah, so in the end, he managed to convince Alfred to not talk to the police. So they lied to the police and said that Alfred, he didn't really know what he saw and he made the phone call without actually knowing what he saw and because he had a bit to drink. And at first, Carson's like, what? And then Robert tries to tell him that not really, but it's they are lying. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> and the police, they realize that they're lying, but they can't do anything, you know, and they leave. So in the end, it's great because Thomas is saved in a way. And so Thomas will stay. But I believe that this would change him a lot in a way that, I mean, our vision of him would be different because we saw really this sensible and emotional and vulnerable part of him. Because this is something he's very vulnerable about. Because if someone wants to talk about him to the police, he is a dead man. So, of course, this always makes him vulnerable. And I really love Robert's conversation with Alfred. So, before wrapping this up, this is time for my music of the day. Yeah, I want it to be about Thomas because I think this music actually represents Thomas a lot. And I had the idea uh, when Thomas says, it's being nice that got me into trouble. No one Bates says, you should try to be nicer. It's like, I tried to be nicer and, well, it got me into trouble. And, yeah, I don't know why it inspired me that, but I thought it was fitting. And actually, I think the whole song could fit, but, you know, I can't put the whole song. So I put a part that I thought was really representative. My opinion was really representative of Thomas. Oh, and yes, it's Taylor Swift. Because, I mean, it's been a long time since we didn't have Taylor Swift song. I think it was since episode four so it's been three episodes without Taylor Swift so it was about time that I put again Taylor Swift songs into this podcast they told me all of my cages were mental so I got wasted like all my potential and my words shoot to kill when I'm mad I have a lot of regrets about that 
Yeah, so that was This Is Me Trying by Taylor Swift. And I just thought it looked a lot like Thomas. Um, actually, even the first, the first lyrics of the song made me think about Thomas. But I liked the, the second verse a bit better. So I played for you the second verse. But the first lyrics are, I've been having a hard time adjusting. I had the shiniest wheels, now they're resting. And all this, also with the, they told me all my changes were mental, so I got wasted like all my potential. And the way to say that if Thomas was nicer, if, I mean, he put himself the barriers in, you know, between him and the others. And if he just um, didn't do that and be nicer, like, because I think it can be, maybe everything would be better for him. But we know he put these barriers because of who he is, because I think, I think part of him is ashamed. Like, he's not completely ashamed, but... He is a bit because, I think because of the situation, of the society. If society didn't tell him that this was a sin, he would feel better. And also because he doesn't want to appear weak in a way. And I don't know, I think there's a lot of, of feelings um, inside his head. It just everything kind of makes it all together. And yeah, and just, you know, the idea of, I was so ahead of the curve. And then the curve became a sphere. And then um, he fell behind all his classmates and ended up here. It's exactly like that. Like he was... He could have been a butler or even nicer under, but he was a valet. And now, uh, because of all this, he ended up being when no one, almost having no jobs. It is the idea of, you know, this is me trying. Like, he tries to be a bit better. I, I think he really tries. But at the same time, he has a voice saying to him, if you're kind, like too kind, you're going to be eaten up by the world, by society, by people. I don't know. But I just thought it was really nice because really when he says that's, being nice like I'm in trouble I thought about it I don't know I don't even know if you understand what I mean because I have a lot of feelings, of feelings about it but I can't really know how to express them correctly and because I'm a bit ill and have and I have a headache it's kind of really tricky for me to you know have all the ideas coming right out of my mouth so I hope you understand a bit but yeah and like I say it was about time that I put another Taylor Swift song but I love this song I do say that about I think almost every Taylor Swift song, but I mean, I'm a Swiftie, so yeah. I mean, you're used to it by now, I think. But so yeah, that's the end for this episode, which is much longer than the others. But the episode is longer, okay? It's the end of the season. There's so many things happening. So I think it's okay. So I hope you liked it. I really hope you did. I love this episode. The Cricket Match. I just love this episode. Actually, if you want to send me a message or if you want to react or answer to my questions that I have in this episode, feel free to send me a message anywhere. Really, if you have ideas about the things I asked, please send me a message because I need someone to help me with my thoughts. I hope you are well. I mean, because I am here right now. So I do hope that you are feeling better than I do right now. And yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to apologize because I know that the last two episodes were, were late. But like I said, with me coming back from a holiday, and I was, I think, to become a bit ill. Actually, I had a lot of things to do. So I'm really sorry about that. And thank you for your patience. And um, yep. I will see you next Sunday to talk about the Christmas special, like episode nine slash Christmas special of season three, Downton Abbey. 
I love this episode, except the last minutes. Like really, you just cut the last minute. I love this episode. It's not even the last minutes, like this last 10 seconds. Because this episode is so good. I love this episode. It's just so good. Except the end. We just pretend that the last like 20 seconds never happened. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so um, I will see you next Sunday to talk about this episode. And until then, let's enjoy Mary and Matthew being happy. Okay. Stay safe, take care of yourself, and don't forget. Vive la différence! Okay.